Hey there, before we start, just want to remind you guys, make sure you subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show as well. All right, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. And we, I'm coming to you from the White House. Uh, Rick, I guess you came back to work. Rick Rick was off, and full full disclosure, Rick... Rick took uh, most of last week off, which Forever. means... Yeah. Basically retirement. I'm coming out of retirement for this. In this news cycle, a day off feels like about a month. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, mean, a, it's a strange sensation. But, uh, but I'm surprised the news is back. I mean, anything happened while I was gone, John? Not at all. Not at all, Rick. Uh, very slow period. But we, are, I, we have a new sense of normalcy here at the White House. Uh, it is already uh, midweek, and we've had no major, uh, no major controversies or scandals erupt from here. Um, we've been kind of on the substance. And I think because we have entered month two of the Trump presidency, there's been some maturization. Did I say that right? And and we're headed and we're headed to don't call it a State of the Union address, because it's not, but uh but it is the president's joint speech to the joint session of Congress is going to be next Tuesday. And and a major moment for kind of Maybe call it phase two of the of the Trump camp of the Trump presidency. I would say phase one ended with that wild news conference uh, on Thursday, John. And you you got a question, had a good exchange with the president during it. But what do you go for about an hour and a fifteen minutes? Went on forever, uh, and and it, it was impromptu and it was freewheeling and uh, very derisive about the press. It seemed like he came with a message to deliver about media coverage, maybe to try to get his base back on board and to and to gear up for the, the fight ahead. But I wonder if that will be the end of Chapter 1, and this is now the beginning of Chapter 2. The month 2, turning a new, uh, a new page. He does the visit to the African American History Museum. He, he, he denounces he anti-Semitism. It seems like he's moving in, a, as you say, a more normal direction, but uh, that, was a, that was a wild end to the, that first month. So that press conference, a couple quick things on that. Uh, you're right, it, was, it, it clocked in at, at least an hour and 15 minutes. He actually called on 17 different reporters, uh, which had to be something approaching a record for, a, for a, a presidential news conference, and totally freewheeling. Also, it was not planned. Uh, I was told what happened is the president had a brief huddle with his senior communications team at about – just before 10.30 when he was going into a photo op with, uh, with Republicans. I mean, it was with, with Republicans in Congress. And he said to them, hey, should we do a press conference? Let's just do it at noon. I mean, presidential press conferences, by the way, sometimes we only find out about them. You know, they, they don't give us much time to prepare. But they prepare them internally for a long time. Sure. They game out, uh, you know, questions and possible answers. They... You know, it's, there's a strategic, uh, you know, reason for, for doing them. The president made this call and announced a press conference that would ha- be happening in 90 minutes. When I got into the East Room for the press conference, which ended up being a little bit later than that, um, they were still bringing chairs in for people to sit <laughs> in. It wasn't even set up yet. And then the substance. And, and, and this began a couple of days of just absolutely railing on, on the media. And and John, you had uh, a really extraordinary commentary at the end of this week, which you hosted over the weekend. I encourage anyone to go look at it if you if you haven't seen it. But I think you made some really interesting points that I'd like to just talk for a moment about. There's nothing new at all about uh, president uh, complaining about media coverage. 
But this did seem to, to cross a line. This did seem to go quite a bit further than we've heard from previous presidents. Yeah, and what I was trying to do um, with that commentary was, on one hand, to, to make your first point, which is, you know, don't don't like flip out and think that we suddenly have a you know dictatorship emerging in America because the president says some nasty things about the press. I mean, this is something that we have seen throughout American history. Um, and you know, one one of the uh, one, one of the presidents I mentioned was Teddy Roosevelt, who uh, you know he was the, obviously the one that that wrote that, that wrote that great speech, uh, the man with the muckrake, that gave us the term muckrakers, and and he called the investigative journalists of his days not just muckrakers but evil. So it's not quite enemy of the people, but it's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, there? I guess what's I guess there? you know you know I mean enemy of the people might be might be a notch worse because it implies uh, it implies treason. As opposed to simply run of the mill evil. I mean, you, know, you, could, you, 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 you could be a patriotic <laughs> evil guy, I guess. You know, um, but um, but so so just make the point that, that, that on the one hand, you know, let's not like totally flip out because the president has decided to make an enemy of 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 the press or describe the press in that way. Um, but but I do I, I do think that there was something about this that that went a little further. And my point is simply that um, it is the job of those in our business to, from time to time, uh, you know, make the guy in charge really upset. I mean, that, that, that's right. not by design. That's not the purpose of what we do. But but we have to, you know, never be never be fearful of incurring the wrath of the most powerful person in the world. That is something that we have to have the ability to do, um, and 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 not shy away from. And clearly. There's been a lot of uh, wrath incurred. I think a little bit of it is a, there's a little bit of a game, you know, that there's, um, you know, that, that this White House, like previous White Houses, uh, find something beneficial in in, in painting, uh, you know, the, the so-called media as as the enemy. Um, but you know, I mean, we we have to we have to stay focused on our job. Yeah, I think that's that, that's the only way to to handle it, and 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 I think. You realize that there's a piece of it that's political positioning and that it's often that uh, we're an effective foil for a president, particularly this president. He came to office with with the, uh, a lot of people skeptical of, uh, of the media coverage around him. Uh, and, and, and he needs to he needs to find his base again because it has it had been a raucous month. It was a very uneasy first couple of weeks. Uh, he talked about the unprecedented activity. And I think that's that's probably true. But also unprecedented chaos. We just we saw things that we've just never seen before in terms of the the pace of executive orders uh, and the like. And, and what's interesting, John, to, to, to raise another storyline is we've already seen we saw the big push. We also saw the pushback, and we've seen these scenes start to emerge at town hall meetings across the country that are reminiscent to anyone that remembers seven or eight years ago the town halls that that, that began. To, to generate in the Obama era. And it, it, it seems like a, a mirror image uh, replica of that. And, and that's, this is the first opportunity that constituents have to hear about how the Trump era is resonating with their voters at home. Yeah, these town hall meetings, again, with health care as not the only issue, but the issue that's front and center in, in, in many of these raucous town halls, uh, uh, the echoes are certainly there. We don't know where this movement is going, if it really is a, a full-blown movement. But there sure seems to be uh, some energy behind this and some real concerns and real anger. I asked Sean Spicer about this at the uh, the White House briefing today, Wednesday, and um, 
I, I, I want to, Rick, if you don't mind, I want to play the exchange and then I want to play uh, it, something that was said eight years ago when President Obama was in the same situation and we started seeing these town hall meetings. So first, uh, uh, let's play this and talk about it coming out. The president referred to so-called angry crowds at these town halls. Is he suggesting this is manufactured anger? Uh, that this is not real anger and real concern? Yeah, I, thanks. I think there, there's a hybrid there. Um, I think some people are clearly upset, but there is a bit of, of professional protester manufactured base in there. Um, but there obviously there are people that are upset. But I also think that when you look at some of these districts and some of these things, it is, it is, it is not a representation of a member's district or an incident. It is a loud group, small group of people disrupting something in many cases uh, for media attention. No offense. Um, it's just I think that's that necessarily just because they're loud doesn't necessarily mean that there are many. Um, and I think in a lot of cases that's that's what you're seeing. Does the president doubt that there is real anger and real no, concern out there beyond just a few loud agitators, that there's real concern that people may lose their But they won't. It, see, I think that that's a false narrative. And I, I don't the president's been very clear. So there you hear Sean Spicer suggesting that what we're seeing, you know, there may be some real concerns out there, but but what we're seeing is some agitators that don't really represent uh, much of anything beyond, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, perhaps manufactured uh, anger. Now, uh, sitting in the very same chair that I was sitting in when I asked that question eight years ago was Jake Tapper, then with ABC News who asked a very similar question in a very similar situation of uh, then White House Press Secretary for Barack Obama, Robert Gibbs. A couple questions. One, um, is it your contention, is it the White House contention, that the anger that some members of Congress are experiencing at town hall meetings, especially over health care reform, is manufactured? Is that? Uh, I think some of it is, yes. In fact, I think you've had <coughs> groups today, uh, conservatives for patients' uh, rights, that have uh, bragged about uh, organizing and manufacturing that anger. So, you know, really, Rick, if you if you listen to the way the Obama uh, team talked about these town hall meetings and you listen to the way this team is talking about these town hall meetings, it's like all you have to do is like swap the, the, the villain, you know, in the, in the Obama case, it was the you know, it was the, the, the conservative groups, the right-wing groups that were manufacturing this for media attention and in this case, it's it's the liberal groups. But you know, the, in the Obama case, those town hall meetings, whether or not there were conservative groups fanning the flames, and there were, uh, they, they certainly uh, led to a 2010 midterm election that was pretty devastating for the White House. Yeah, and I, I think the attention on who's behind these things is is misplaced. I don't think it's relevant. I, organizers organize things. Liberal groups are going to are going to try to put things together and make a lot of noise against. Conservative politicians, Republicans, and and the same thing will happen on the other side. And and it does not matter. First and foremost, if there are actually constituents who are energized enough to show up uh, at a town hall meeting, you can't fake that. And I don't think this even this White House is suggesting that these are purely people that are paid and bust in. When you hear Sean Spicer talk about that hybrid, that means there are real constituents here. And and I'll tell you, you know this because you've talked to many many politicians over many many years, John. 
people, the, people, if you talk to your member of Congress, if you confront them directly, that gets remembered. And it doesn't mean it gets internalized and that you're going to change your vote on something. But this, it actually is an effective way to communicate with a member of Congress and let them know how you feel. And it's a great thing in this country that you have that kind of access as a citizen. It makes a difference. It's a piece of data and an important piece of data that a member of Congress files away. And maybe it affects a vote or a position at some point. Maybe not. But th- there is no denying that there is something going on in this country in terms of the counter protests to the to the Trump era. It started the day after the inauguration with the march, and you see now channeled in these in these town hall meetings where you have the DNC uh, chair race up this weekend that's going to further this. This discussion is happening, and the energy is real. And there's no doubt that this president knows uh, that this that health care is a potentially perilous issue for them. Now, we, we also heard from the president today that he's going to have uh, his uh, health care plan out, his tax reform plan out, you know, coming up in March. You know, I, I get very little information about what exactly is going to be in either one of those. Uh, and you get contradictory information depending on who you're asking. And it seems clear at least so far. I, I don't get a sense. Maybe, Rick, you can correct me if you're seeing something that I'm not. But, uh, you know, my sense of talking to Republicans on the Hill is there isn't a heck of a lot of guidance coming out of the White House on which way they want to go in either one of those issues. No, the action on the Hill is, is it's done by people to know the subject matter, but it isn't with with a firm press uh, of one one direction or the other from the White House. That's one of the things that are going to make the speech uh, next week to the, the joint session so so important is that. Whatever you say about this first month, and a lot should be said and has been said about it, the legislation was not first and foremost in, in the, the White House push. It was about executive action, about things the president could do unilaterally. If anything, the legislative agenda took a back seat and may have gotten sidetracked. They may be behind where they wanted to be, needed to be, because there's been so much action on uh, on, on executive actions and, uh, and lawsuits around it and so much energy that's been consumed by, by that action. They're not they're not moving on the legislative front. He needs that. Ultimately, that's where you get the biggest bang for your buck is on legislative things. And that's when he's talking to Congress next week. That has to come through. Well, you you remember the pen and the phone, right? I do. I do remember the pen this, and the phone. This I was do. this was wow. the uh, this was when when Obama ran into the uh, you know ran into the wall of opposition in Congress to to to, to acting on any of his agenda. White House staff said, well, he's got a pen and he's got a phone. He's going to, you know, he's going to do executive actions and he's going to use his ability to convene, you know, uh, you know, powerful people to get things done. Well, you know, it didn't exactly work all that well for President Obama. I mean, you know, he couldn't when he couldn't get stuff done in Congress. He he tried some very bold executive orders, especially on immigration. Boom. The courts knocked him out. Uh, he, you know, he tried to do executive uh, action on, on the gun issue. There's very little you can actually, you know, do outside of legislation on, on that front, which, which they found. And, um, you know, it, it, it seemed, frankly, a little impotent. Um, and, uh, you know, new presidents come in. He certainly has used his pen and his phone. He's convened, you know. And uh, tweets. Uh, and the, tweets. The, well, yeah, the that's right. That's right. Yeah. The, uh, the, 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 yeah, no doubt. But, you know, he's brought in the CEOs. He's brought in the labor leaders. He's, you know. But ultimately for Donald Trump to do what he really wants to do, you know, I mean, you know how this works, Rick. He's going to have to actually get Congress to act on his agenda. 
That's right. And, and, and that's where we're, we haven't seen the motion yet. President Trump is a, is a master convener and, and talker and convincer and negotiator and dealmaker and all those things. He, it's telling to me that most of the things we've seen so far are with the private sector and, and surrounding executive orders. He hasn't really turned his attention to Capitol Hill the way that I think a lot of people expected him to do early on. Uh, it's and it is still early, but I think that that's where this next chapter begins. Is that you have that joint address, you have a Republican Congress that it, maybe still be skeptical of many things that Donald Trump does and stands for, but they want him to succeed. They want a conservative agenda su- to succeed. They just need they need some guidance. Okay, now we're we're lucky to have somebody to help us walk through all this. Uh, I think joining us on the phone right now is Mr. Christopher Ruddy. I. I Chris, um, I don't have your exact title. I think it's News and Information Kingpin at, uh, <laughs> at Newsmax. Is that right? John, I'm just Chris Ruddy, ordinary <laughs> American, former New York Post reporter. Yes, Chris and I uh, worked, worked together on the New York Post back in the glory days when, when both of our careers were, were in a much better place, I think, uh, uh, Chris. Uh, it's great. Thank you for joining us. Chris, uh, obviously, we, we, we've, we've talked to you before. Um, uh, you are a uh, uh, also a friend of Donald Trump's and a member of Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, actual card-carrying member. Do they issue cards? How does that work? I don't think I have a card. I don't know. I, I don't, <laughs> it's been a while. I certainly don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not in possession of one handy, but I. You got a membership, certainly, and a little decal for your car. There you go. You a little parking spot, oh. hopefully. That's good. That's good. Um, now, I saw you. Uh, so you you were just down there. I, I think I saw on your Twitter feed uh, you hanging out with, uh, with with Trump over the weekend and uh, uh, Mike Savage. Um. Yeah, I saw the president a couple of times over the weekend. Usually, when I'm down here, we speak. Uh, usually, more than once, and and. Um, this past weekend was no different. Um, I actually live down in this area. I'm based in, in Newsmax, uh, is based in Boca. So um, down the season, they call it, I'm down here most weekends. And through the years, I've gotten to know uh, President Trump. I first met him in 1999 when he was giving a speech locally about a possible presidential run. He probably doesn't remember that. But um, then I got to, I kept meeting him, meeting him at various functions at, at Mar-a-Lago. And um, probably in 2005 and six, he asked me to join, and I became a member, an actual paying member of the club. And uh, I've, I would say I've got to know him very well over the past 10 years. So you sent kind of a rocket uh, out um, uh, recently about uh, raising concerns about Reince Priebus and and saying that that he uh, was was in over his head, um, and it got a lot of attention because it was you know you, you did this not long after having uh, you know a, a you know face to face meeting with with Trump down at Mar-a-Lago. You since said you know Reince has showed you his plans and and and, and you thought he was you know he, he had some good ideas and and uh, and 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 kind of uh, you know said give give him a little bit of space. I'm wondering now that 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 story's been out there for a while. What, what's your sense now? I mean, it, 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 do uh, have they righted the ship, or are there still still some warning signs out there? Well, when I did the comment, um, John, I, I basically was just speaking for myself, not the president. It was, of it course. was general conversation about the media, and I was critical of the media in this conversation on CNN. And then I just mentioned I thought there was some weakness at the White House, and we talked about rights a little bit. It was not intention to to get him fired, so to speak, and then it blew up as a news story. 
And I spoke to him that afternoon. I said, look, I'm not out uh, to attack you personally. I think you're a good guy. I think he's very strong on the relationship side, which Trump didn't really have coming into Washington. And I'm not privy to everything getting going on in the Washington, even though I know Trump. People think I sit here all day and listen, talk to people at the White House. I occasionally talk to people, but I'm, I'm running my own business and other things. And I'm just seeing what you were seeing, that there was a lot of messaging problems and that the good things they were doing were not getting through. And Wright's told me in a conversation, he said, look, we're, we're on top of this. We realize there's some issues and there needs to be fixes. And Jared um, called me as well, the president's uh, advisor, counselor, Jared Kushner, and made the same case. And um, I know the president, I've spoken to him about it during the week, that he thinks very highly of Wright's. And um, I think, for, you know, there's no plans that I know of to change that situation. And I'm, um, I'm getting no rights a little bit better and f- hear, hear, hearing his plans with, um, with Bannon and others. So I think the team is coming together, and I think you have a troika there between Jared, Bannon, and Reince, and they all seem to, to work together. I don't buy the story that there's a lot of infighting going on there. So one thing you, that you said, that independent of, of any criticism of Reince, that you felt like there, were, there was a lack of the big picture. And that's something that, to me at least, covering this White House, I think John would agree with this too, it, that does come through because there's so much happening. It, 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 is, it, is, it seems like chaos day in and day out. There are so many different storylines. What's your sense and what, is there a strategy here behind that perce- perception of chaos that adds up to a big picture? Well, I think chaos overstates it. Um, I think the administration, look, the cabinet has been selected. They're all, I would say, A or A-plus people, very substantial um, people, well-qualified, really good people that one normally wouldn't expect in a cabinet. So I think he's put together a new team. But people forget Donald Trump has never been a politician before. He's never been in political office. First president in our history, not to be a president general, comes in. And he's on a learning curve. And he is used to being very reactive, shooting from the hip, and just telling people what he thinks. And at the same time, you have Steve Bannon, who has a long laundry list of things of campaign promises that he feels they have to fulfill. And they're working tirelessly to get through that as they're trying to create a government at the same time. I think there's a view within, within the inside that they've been doing too much that that they're just getting that they're they're stepping all over themselves and um i'm not sure that's just the president i think you know we know his his mo is to just non-stop and and right. be tireless and but i also think the administration they they didn't the rollouts on some of this like the muslim ban thing they've already admitted that there were problems with that they're redoing it um, so I think there's a sense that they've got to slow down. I think Jared coming on board is going to be a very good influence on keeping them on a more even keel and pace. So is it your sense that they will slow down? I mean, you have this opportunity next week. What are you expecting out of this this speech to the joint session? And is part of it reassurance that there's a there's a recognition of the pace that was not sustainable, the pace that was not productive for the White House over the first month? Well, there's certainly the pace of the, uh, the, the, the messaging pace is going to slow down. I think you're seeing it a little bit. Um, and I, I do think with, over time you're going to see more of a pushback on the tweets 
the president's still in campaign mode. He came out of a year of... Where does that pushback come from, Chris? How does that well, work? Yeah. Well, fun, I, over time, uh, there's a lot of people around the president, then people he's seeing. He'll see people down here at the club or other friends that he has that he's in contact with. And I think people will be giving him feedback. I think they already have been giving him feedback that the number of tweets um, could be reduced and maybe that there needs to be a better process on the tweets. And so I know he's getting that feedback. And I think over time... To be fair, it sounds like feedback he had during the campaign, too. I think there were people telling him that at various times during the campaign. And that he didn't listen to and won despite. I mean, that that seems one one piece of this is that it's worked for him, no? Well, Rick, I think if you look at the they cabinet, did slow down most, for a while. Yeah. most of the cabinet has not even settled in. Some of them haven't yeah. been confirmed. He's listening to Mattis. I would say Mattis is the most influential person in the government right now. He's the person Donald respects the most, listens to the most, and I think he's been driving more of the national security apparatus and foreign policy, even the foreign policy issues, some of those that overlap with defense. That's all Mattis, and Donald's listening to, I think, um, this recent appointment here for the National Security Advisor, McMaster. Um, at first, uh, Mattis had another pick, Harwood, who was a friend of de- former deputy of his. Harwood pulled out at the last minute, and I think that um, you will see that Mattis is, is a, you know, the guy comes literally out of the Defense Department to go now run National Security Council. Um, I think that's good. I think over time, Mattis and others are going to say, when the president makes a tweet about something that hits their department, they're going to come to him and say, you can't do this. But I think everybody's just settling in. It's not even, you know, it's just, what, 30 days into this, a little over? So yeah. you've got to give, give him a little chance to adjust to the job, too. I think criticism is fine. I've criticized the administration. As you know, I just criticized... Ryan's last week, um, and so uh, it's the White House messaging on that point, and and so I think they they can deal with criticism. It's just a matter. Of, it's just you know they feel the press is like a total war in, with them, and they're under siege the minute they stepped in in there. Well, l- let me let me ask you about that point because you you're part of the media. Hate to out you like that. <laughs> yeah, you you are definitely a card carrying <laughs> member of the uh, the media, Chris. So, I, I, won't, to... I won't give you an MSM tag. I'm on the mainstream tag here. But sure. wh- what do you make of this outright? It is war. I mean, they've declared the media to be the opposition party. The president called us the enemies of the American people. Us in the mainstream media, at, at least, is that productive? Is that accurate? What's behind that, to your mind? I think it's a mistake on the administration's part to be so confrontational with the media. I believe the media is extremely confrontational with the president, and they have been for a while, um, and even before he arrived. I mean, if you tune in to MSNBC and CNN, I mean, they talk about him being mentally ill. They call it, they've already been talking. They were talking about his impeachment before he arrived in the office. And you come into that toxic environment, and he's the type of guy – it almost seems to me like they're baiting him a little bit because they know he's very reactive and he gets angry, and so they're just enjoying this this rising of the tensions. Um, I personally have encouraged him to be more uh, consensus and populist-driven, focus on the things that are going to have the whole public support. For instance, he did this ban on lobbying. Everybody agrees 
people that work for the government. It shouldn't be a revolving door. You become a lobbyist. And he put a time limit on it, I think three years or something. And nobody knows about it because they did the Muslim ban rollout, which wasn't really what they were trying to do. And there was conflicting reports as to what they're doing. And that turmoil that you spoke about, or that I think you used the word chaos, is on the messaging side. And, and so I think he's losing. The big problem right now for him is you really don't accomplish anything if you're president and you don't get legislation passed. You need to get major legislation. Obama realized that. He got Obamacare, stimulus, Dodd-Frank, a couple other things done early, and that's all he got done. But he did have an impact. Trump has all these things he wants to do, infrastructure, overall uh, corporate tax reform, immigration policy changes, that'll be long-lasting, all sorts of stuff. And it seems to me he had an opportunity to really reach out to the Democrats and create a consensus-driven administration, and they're losing that as each day goes by. So is your advice to him to grab to, to try to grab that back and to come and use this? Uh, he's got the big speech before the joint session of Congress on Tuesday. Would you suggest yeah, something? about ways we can work together. You know, this is the only guy in America that's a friend of both Billy Graham and Howard Stern. Okay, so he has, and both of you guys have met him. You know he can be very charming in person. He's very affable. He's not the people, the theatrical Donald you see on stage. And he, I mean, he's a showbiz guy. He comes out of 15 years of a hit TV show. So he still has that in his brain, too. And I think it's helped him a lot, but it also, he now needs to get into this idea that he's the head of state and he needs to bring people together. Sounds like you're saying be presidential. I, 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 I want to ask just what the scene is like at Mar-a-Lago, because I'm so intrigued. We've just seen glimpses of it, some pictures and uh, some postings on social media occasionally. But the president of the United States, just about every weekend of his presidency, other than the first weekend, has gone to Mar-a-Lago, which he considers the, the Winter White House. And what happens in the room? How much is he mingling with members? Is he, are people coming up to him? Are they there to talk politics, business? Does he want to talk politics, business? What is it like every weekend with the president of the United States? I, I don't, this is extraordinary to me. Well, I, I think the, the way to start this is to say what it was like before he even ran for office. And that is a very illustrious club. It's a famous house on the ocean built by Marjorie Merriweather Post. She actually left it to President Carter for the Winter White House. He and the Reagans did not want it. They put it up for auction. That's how Trump got it. So it's sort of funny how it, it ended up becoming the original mission through, through Donald Trump. Um, and on the weekends, they always have a beautiful restaurant on the patio and a couple of hundred people in Palm Beach that are club members or, or guests come out. Trump is typically there, and he's a wonderful host, and he usually mingles and goes over to tables to say hello, and people go over to see him. Uh, there's oftentimes events in the banquet room for all the major charities, Cancer, Heart Society, uh, you name it, they're all there. And um, he's just been a great, he loves it, he's, he, loves, he loves people, he loves interacting with people, he's in his natural element. The home is a, like a palace. So it all sort of worked for him, and I think he was always excited. I, he rarely ever missed a weekend there through the years. So I got to see him because I was usually there every weekend myself, um, and I would see him and then get the political download from him, or he would ask me usually a dozen questions about politics or business or things I, you know that were on his radar. So um, 
now he really wants to, he sees this beautiful house. He says, why can't it be the Winter White House? He wants to come down there and enjoy it. He happens to own it. So there's a conflict, I guess, the press is seeing in that. But it's, you know, can the, where in the Constitution does it say if a president owns a business, he has to drop that business once he becomes president? I don't think that's required. So then the issue is what goes on there now. Generally, he doesn't, the idea you can become a member now and then you get access to the president of the United States, I think, is, is a myth. Um, there's a virtual security area around him. When he's sitting at his table, you just can't walk up to him. They usually let people that are old-time friends that they know like are very close to him. I typically can just go up and speak to him. Um, and if he sees me, oftentimes at the club, he'll wave me over. Or uh, he'll come by, and if he sees me, he'll, he's come over to my table a couple of times when I've had guests. Um, and but it's because he knows me, so he's not running around just trying to introduce himself to people and and do business deals. He, and where in the past he used to talk business, I don't see him ever talking about business at all. Um, and let, let's just talk about Abe. You know, they're saying, oh well, they people were reading these secret documents. Well, I looked at the photograph, and all the people standing behind Trump were all security people. They were not club members looking over his shoulder. Uh, and I know there was like a velvet rope around him so people couldn't come right over to uh, to get access. So it's a little bit of a myth that the club is becoming a place where like a lobbyist could show up. It's just not really accurate for the situation. At the same time, he enjoys seeing a lot of friends. And, and when he's out, he does meet people. As he's walking around the club, they'll take pictures. He's not engaging with them in lengthy conversations uh, and discussions, but he does ask people what they think about this person or or this issue, and he's he's an information junkie, so he's always questioning people about things. So uh, we we won't let you go, but just be, before you do, um, you, you, you talked about how he you know it'd be good for you you would recommend that the president try to you know recapture that moment of, of reaching out uh, to, uh, to to Democrats and and to those on the other side. He's got the big speech coming up on Tuesday. What would you specifically recommend? Where where could Trump reach out, and where should he uh, reach out to those who right now are you know are running running to the hills in the other direction? I don't know. I think this is beyond John Mike pay grade here to yeah. come up with his talking points. I would I would talk about the things that are going to make the he got elected on the frustration of the American people that there has been economics income stagnation for 10, 15, some economists argue even longer years. And he knows, one of the big things I do know that he's really excited about is he really wants to create jobs. He feels he owes those voters in Ohio and Wisconsin and all those people, Pennsylvania. He wants to bring jobs back to them. Anybody that has an idea like that, he's just, I see him light up. And that's like his laser-like focus right now. The Democrats are for that too. And if they could think about ways that they can, there's an overlap. For example, one of the biggest stimulus is more than $3 trillion parked offshore that's sitting there. The Democrats would like to get that money back. The Republicans now, there's a disagreement on how much that money should be taxed. Democrats want a higher tax. Trump, Trump's a deal guy, right? So he's the perfect guy to go in there and say, let's make a deal, get an agreement that... If, you, if the corporate tax is 35%, so the companies don't want to pay that, otherwise they would have repatriated the money already. 
So some people say you have to go as low as 10 or 15, maybe if you do 18 or something. Or the money comes in at 15, but they have to spend it on things when they get the money back because the money's come back before like this, and they ended up using it to give you dividend stock bonuses and share repurchases. So if that would be like a huge thing. And if people agree on that and say, look, we can get this money back, it's a $3 million, trillion stimulus to the U.S. economy, three times Obama's stimulus. It would be huge. If you can get all that back, that's, uh, that, that'll be the question. Well, Chris Ruddy, Newsmax, thank you for joining us here on Powerhouse Politics. Uh, we'll you, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with you again soon, I hope. And we, Call any time. Always, always good to be on with you guys. We should note that if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a member of Mar-a-Lago and it's beyond your pay grade, we're really in trouble. I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there, but appreciate it anyway. <laughs> Thanks, anyway, Chris. And you're both welcome to visit me at Mar-a-Lago. I, don't, I, I can't guarantee you'll get a meeting with the president, however, <laughs> when you come down. Fair we'll, enough. We'll, we'll take powerhouse politics on the road. Love All right. It. Thank you very it. much, Chris. Thank you. Bye. Uh, so there you go, uh, uh, Rick. What do you think? Is he going to reach out? I, I. It seems to me that that what 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 Chris Ruddy is outlining fits with the signals we're seeing out of the White House. I don't think they'd frame it the same way. I know they wouldn't frame it the same way. They're not going to say there were any mistakes were made, or that they're being too confrontational with the media, or that they need to kind of lower their expectations and the activity and keep him off of Twitter. But that does seem to be what's happening. And I, look, I, I, I think this piece of analysis, we could dial up a couple of podcasts from the campaign. We said, well, is this the moment that Trump makes the turn and, and comes down a little bit and gets off of Twitter? We probably called that a dozen times and got it wrong. But the stakes are big now. And he has heard from a lot of people that, uh, that it's important to, to get back to the basics here. I think Tuesday is going to be a huge test. That's the biggest opportunity he's going to have for quite some time to focus attention on that one moment and to, to start to, to move the legislative agenda that will be the heavy lifting. All right. Well, we we're, we will be there, Rick. As a matter of fact, I'm actually going to be in the chamber when the president walks into the room and the sergeant at arms announces, you know, Mr. Speaker. Uh, and we see Donald Trump walk into that chamber. Will you uh, say something for, just so we know for sure? Can you can you yell back? Yeah, so you, I, I, something, just a little signal yeah, to our listeners. Here, come on, here? come on, just a little something. No, it's going to be something else. I've 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 been in that chamber uh, for President Bush. 43 for for Barack Obama. I've got a feeling this will be a slightly different feel. <laughs> so yeah. we'll 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 see. We'll see. Yet another yet another first. Uh, so we will be back with you next week after the big speech. Uh, today's show was produced by the talented David Ryan and Avery Miller, even more talented than David Ryan. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week.